Why Catholic is made possible by generous patrons. If you're blessed by this podcast, consider supporting it by purchasing something from the Why Catholic merch shop on Etsy. Link is in the show notes. Original designs on sweatshirts, t-shirts, hats, decals, and more. Stay tuned to the end of this episode to hear how you can get a special discount. Thanks for supporting Why Catholic. My parents were having a hard time choosing a name for me. When my mom was getting close to full term, she and my dad were at a yard sale and they heard a mom call for her son. Justin, Justin, come here. Justin. She hadn't considered that name. And she said to my dad, what do you think about the name Justin? That's right. I got my name at a yard sale and my whole life I wanted a different name. I'm not sure why, but for some reason it just never seemed to fit me. I was happy in college. My friends started calling me Hibbs, and then at work, my coworkers started calling me J Hibbs, and I like that. Justin felt sheepish, small, young, and seemed to play to my insecurities. As I've shared in previous episodes, during my time of discerning Catholicism, there was one doctrine that I wrestled with more than any others, and that was the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. It was just so different than anything I ever was taught about communion. So I did what so many others do in this journey, I began to read the church fathers. What did the people closest to the apostles think about communion? Could they help clarify what seems confusing or nebulous in scripture? Right away, I came across a guy named St. Justin Martyr, one of the earliest church fathers whom I knew only by name, but had never actually read anything he wrote. When I read his first apology written around 155, I was convinced that the apostles' teaching was crystal clear. The bread and wine truly become the body and blood of Jesus when it's consecrated. As I was entering the church, I debated which saint would be my confirmation saint, and one person clearly stood out, the one who helped me understand the Eucharist, who helped me overcome that final theological hurdle, the one with whom I shared a name, St. Justin. Hi, this is Justin Hibbert, and you're listening to Why Catholic, my podcast about the what and why of Catholicism. You guys, this is the 50th episode, and I can't thank you enough from the bottom of my heart for being a part of this journey. This isn't just a special episode because it's our 50th, but because it's June 1st, a day dedicated to a saint that's very dear to me, St. Justin Martyr, who was instrumental in bringing me into the Catholic faith. And so I can think of nothing better than dedicating this 50th episode to St. Justin, a philosopher, an apologist, a martyr, and my confirmation saint. St. Justin Martyr was born into a pagan family around 100 AD in Flavia Neapolis in Samaria. Today, it's where the West Bank is located. Given Justin's father's Latin name, many have speculated that his father may have been a diplomat or a politician. Justin himself was interested in philosophy, and he tried out a number of different philosophical schools and mentors, a Stoic, a Peripatetic, a Pythagorean, a Platonist, and deep down, Justin had an itch for the theological, and his hope was that these schools of philosophy could help him explain God. One day as he was walking along the seashore, he encountered an old Christian man who explained to Justin that the prophets of old were greater than the philosophers. This made quite an impression on Justin, and he noted in his dialogue with Trifo, quote, Straightway, a flame was kindled in my soul and a love of the prophets and of those men who are friends of Christ possessed me. And whilst revolving his words in my mind, I found this philosophy alone to be safe and profitable, end quote. Convinced that Christianity was the truth, Justin decided to give up his pursuit of pagan philosophy in exchange for Christianity, what he called the true philosophy. 
Justin then traveled to Ephesus, where he began to practice this true philosophy. Ephesus was a major hub in the expanding Christian world. It's believed to be where John the Evangelist served as the pastor up until his death. And there's even some evidence to suggest that the Virgin Mary lived out the remainder of her days on earth in Ephesus. Justin eventually made it to Rome, where he opened up a school of Christian philosophy. When you read some of Justin's works, you realize that his approach wasn't to simply discount Greek philosophy, but to use Greek philosophy as a starting point for understanding Christianity. He created a bridge between Greek and Christian philosophy. While we don't have many of Justin's works today, we do have two important ones. The first apology written to the Roman Emperor Antonius Pius, and the second apology written to his successor, Emperor Marcus Aurelius. An apology in this sense doesn't mean to say sorry. It's a defense. It's where we get the word apologetics. At the time, there were lots of anti-Christian sentiments and accusations fueled in part by these emperors. Justin's apologies were systematic defenses of Christianity and the Christian community. What's enlightening about these two works is that it gives us a glimpse of what outsiders thought of Christians at that time. For example, it appears that one rumor was that Christians were seditionists awaiting another kingdom to overthrow Rome. Here's what Justin has to say in his first apology, chapter 11. Quote, And when you hear that we look for a kingdom, you suppose, without making any inquiry, that we speak of a human kingdom, whereas we speak of that which is of God, as appears also from the confession of their faith made by those who are charged with being Christians, though they know that death is the punishment awarded to him who so confesses. For if we looked for a human kingdom, we should also deny our Christ, that we might not be slain, and we should strive to escape detection, that we might obtain what we expect." But since our thoughts are not fixed on the present, we are not concerned when men cut us off, since also death is a debt which must at all events be paid. Even though the Romans were known to be tolerant, hence the Pax Romana, Christians were often excluded from that tolerance and instead made to be scapegoats. For example, during the time of Nero, there was a great fire in Rome, and Nero inexplicably blamed the Christians for the fire and used that as an excuse to persecute them relentlessly. In chapter 7 of his first apology, Justin defends the character of Christians, writing, quote, And everywhere we, more readily than all men, endeavor to pay to those appointed by you the taxes both ordinary and extraordinary, as we have been taught by Jesus. For at that time some came to him and asked him if one ought to pay tribute to Caesar, and he answered, Tell me whose image does the coin bear? And they said Caesar's. And again he answered them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Once to God alone we render worship, but in other things we gladly serve you, acknowledging you as kings and rulers of men, and praying that with your kingly power you be found to possess also sound judgment. But if you pay no regard to our prayers and frank explanations, we shall suffer no loss, since we believe, or rather indeed are persuaded, that every man will suffer punishment in eternal fire according to the merit of his deeds, and will render account according to the power he has received from God, as Christ intimated when he said, To whom God has given more, of him shall more be required. In his second apology, Justin wrote, quote, When I was a disciple of Plato, hearing the accusations made against the Christians and seeing them intrepid in the face of death and of all that men fear, I said to myself that it was impossible that they should be living in evil and in the love of pleasure. 
There were also rumors at the time that Christians practiced incest because they called each other brothers and sisters and they greeted each other with a holy kiss. They also accused Christians of cannibalism because of what they heard about communion. This is a bit lengthy, but it's worth listening to. Mind you, this was written around 155. Take a listen to how Justin explains their weekly celebration of the Mass. This is from his first apology, chapters or paragraphs 65 through 67. Quote, But we, after we have thus washed him who has been convinced and has assented to our teaching, bring him to the place where those who are called brethren are assembled in order that we may offer hearty prayers in common for ourselves and for the baptized person and for all others in every place, that we may be counted worthy, now that we have learned the truth, by our works also to be found good citizens and keepers of the commandments, so that we may be saved with an everlasting salvation. Having ended the prayers, we salute one another with a kiss. There is then brought to the president of the brethren bread and a cup of wine mixed with water, and he taking them gives praise and glory to the Father of the universe, through the name of the Son and of the Holy Ghost and offers thanks at considerable length for our being counted worthy to receive these things at his hands. And when he has concluded the prayers and thanksgivings, all the people present express their assent by saying Amen. The word Amen answers in the Hebrew language to so be it. And when the president has given thanks and all the people have expressed their assent, those who are called by us deacons give to each of those present to partake of the bread and wine mixed with water over which the thanksgiving was pronounced. And to those who are absent, they carry away a portion. All this food is called among us the Eucharist, of which no one is allowed to partake, but the man who believes that the things which we teach are true, and who has been washed with the washing that is for the remission of sins, and unto regeneration, and who is so living as Christ has enjoined. For not as common bread and common drink do we receive these, but in like manner as Jesus Christ our Savior, having been made flesh by the word of God, had both flesh and blood for our salvation. So likewise have we been taught that the food which is blessed by the prayer of his word, and from which our blood and flesh by transmutation are nourished, is the flesh and blood of that Jesus who was made flesh. For the apostles in the memoirs composed by them, which are called Gospels, have thus delivered unto us what was enjoined upon them, that Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, said, This do in remembrance of me, this is my body, and that after the same manner, having taken the cup and given thanks, he said, This is my blood, and gave it to them alone. Which the wicked devils have imitated in the mysteries of Mithras, commanding the same thing to be done. For that bread and cup of water are placed with certain incantations in the mystic rites of one who is being initiated. You either know or can learn. And we afterwards continually remind each other of these things. And the wealthy among us help the needy, and we always keep together. And for all things wherewith we are supplied, we bless the Maker of all through His Son, Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Ghost. And on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read, as long as time permits. Then, when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. Then we all rise together and pray, and as we before said, when our prayers ended, bread and wine and water are brought, and the president in like manner offers prayers and thanksgivings according to his ability, and the people assent, saying, Amen. And there is a distribution to each, and a participation of that over which thanks have been given. And to those who are absent, a portion is sent by the deacons. And they who are well-to-do and willing, give what each thinks fit. 
And what is collected is deposited with the president who succors the orphans and widows and those who through sickness and any other cause are in want and those who are in bonds and the strangers sojourning among us. And in a word, takes care of all who are in need. But Sunday is the day on which we all hold our common assembly, because it is the first day on which God, having wrought a change in the darkness and matter, made the world. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. For he was crucified on the day before that of Saturn, and on the day after that of Saturn, which is the day of the sun, having appeared to his apostles and disciples, he taught them these things, which we have submitted to you also for your consideration." As I've mentioned in previous episodes, I grew up in a small denomination called Seventh-day Baptist. I was told that the early church worshipped on the Saturday Sabbath, and it was Constantine in the 4th century who changed the day of worship to Sunday. Well, after reading Justin's apology, you can't come to any other conclusion than such a claim is completely false. They didn't even worship on Sunday out of convenience, but out of the theology of the creation and resurrection, which is clearly defined in Justin's statement. We also see from Justin's writings how the very young church, only 50 years or so removed from the last of the original apostles, worshipped. They had a presider, or this translation uses the word president. This is the presbyter or priest who came and led the sacraments. And we see a very clear statement that the church believed that the bread and wine become the body and blood of Jesus at the consecration, both because that's what they were taught by the apostles and because of the gospels. What's also remarkable is that we see a very clear similarity between their celebration and the Catholic Mass today. I get a kick out of Justin's statement that when the presider is praying over the bread and wine, he, quote, offers thanks at considerable length. If you're familiar with the Mass, you know exactly what Justin's talking about. It's also noteworthy how he includes the details that only those who had like-minded beliefs were baptized and were in a state of grace were permitted to partake of Holy Communion. Let me conclude by talking about the end of Justin's life. Justin had a debate with a cynic philosopher named Crescens, who decided for whatever reason afterwards to turn Justin and six of his students into the authorities. The prefect, Junius Rusticus, presided over the trial, and we actually have the recorded dialogue that took place. Quote, the prefect Rusticus says, Approach and sacrifice all of you to the gods. Justin says, No one in his right mind gives up piety for impiety. The prefect Rusticus says, if you do not obey, you will be tortured without mercy. Justin replies, that is our desire, to be tortured for our Lord Jesus Christ, and so to be saved, for that will give us salvation and firm confidence at the more terrible universal tribunal of our Lord and Savior. And all the martyrs said, do as you wish, for we are Christians, and we do not sacrifice to idols. The prefect Rusticus read the sentence, Those who do not wish to sacrifice to the gods and to obey the emperor will be scourged and beheaded according to the laws. The holy martyrs, glorifying God, betook themselves to the customary place where they were beheaded and consummated their martyrdom, confessing their Savior. The name Justin took on a whole new meaning for me when I learned about this second century church father whom we call Saint Justin Martyr. Justin doesn't have to be a sheepish name at all because this Justin bravely defended the faith even to the point of death. And what's so touching is that his students followed him to their martyrdom. Now anytime I hear someone call me Justin, I think of Justin Martyr, and I'm so proud of my name. As an apologist and someone interested in the true philosophy, 
St. Justin is a role model and hero of mine, and someone who helped me understand what the Church has always professed about the body and blood of Jesus in the Eucharist. St. Justin the Martyr, pray for us. Thank you for joining me for Why Catholic. Be sure to subscribe to Why Catholic wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also subscribe to my Substack site and get the next episode in your email inbox. As a subscriber, you get a special discount code to the Why Catholic Etsy store. If you've been blessed by this podcast and you're feeling generous, there's also a way to financially support it. And patrons get some extra perks. To become a free subscriber or a patron, just go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe. Also join me on Instagram at whycatholicpodcast, all one word. Thanks again for listening. My name is Justin Hibbard, and this is Why Catholic. God bless you.